Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. I mean, I think that in Australia we're we're so restricted by the current regulation, so it's all contingent on whether or not our current regulatory framework changes. So, in when we look at things globally, we see it's split between a medical market and a recreational market. In Australia, it's very much a medical market at the moment, and from a patient perspective, and also from an astro perspective, we're big proponents of that because we think that cannabis is um, very suited for medical industries. Like patients have chronic pain, a patients have anxiety and they need healthcare professionals to navigate them through the space. Those are the wise words of Lisa Nguyen. Welcome back to a new season of Humans of Purpose. It is great to be back with you here as always. To learn more about what you can expect from this season, check out our previous episode, which is short and sweet and under three minutes. Today, a little disclaimer and maybe time to pop the kids earmuffs on for our conversation today, which goes into some depth discussing medical cannabis. By airing this content today, we are not encouraging anyone to obtain or attempt to obtain medical cannabis. So that disclaimer might have been a tip-off that we are blessed to be with my good mate, B. Mohammed, who is pa- Head of Patient Advocacy and Engagement at Astra Dispensary, and Lisa Nguyen, who is Founder and CEO at Astra Dispensary. Astra Dispensary is Australia's first green dispensary, a boutique specialty pharmacy pioneering in cannabinoid therapy, plant-based therapies, and nutraceuticals in the heart of South Yarra, Melbourne. This is a fascinating chat that touches on what it's like to be the first Asian female-led dispensary in Australia. We talk about patient rights, the current medical cannabis laws and medical prescribing patterns, as well as the future of the cannabis industry here in Victoria. If you like what you hear today, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, sign up for our monthly EDM, The Purpose, with a link in our show notes, and consider becoming a Patreon supporter. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can support me to keep creating deep and engaging content each and every week. To explore your support options, just hit the link in our show notes. So I'm absolutely thrilled to have two of my favorite people, B and Lisa from Astrid with me. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure to have you here. I know you've had a long and arduous day at the shop. Has been a long day. Today it's a Saturday today, so we've had a lots of interesting and also fun customers and patients come through. Awesome. Well, we look forward to hearing more about that. I think a good place to start would be I'd love to hear a little bit about how you two connected, got together, and um, launched this wonderful brainchild. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So me and Lisa met when we were working for Canopy Growth Corporation. So it's um, the world's largest cannabis company it's a canadian company and um i was the patient advocacy manager for canopy growth apac and lisa was the first medical science liaison for apac um and long story short and i'm sure lisa will add on as well we very quickly realized that we were both passionate about one thing and that was actually a patient sort of driven driven industry which was missing um obviously it's something that four years ago um it was something that patients actually advocated for medicinal cannabis to be legalized in australia but when we work within the industry we realized that there were still so many barriers for patients that weren't addressed so we connected immediately um lisa's energy and passion for patients was just mind-blowing and um 
so yeah, fast forward um, 15 months later, um, when she came out with the idea of Astrid, I just had to be a part of it. It was non-negotiable. I literally said to her, I don't care what is it, you know, my role is at the start. I just wanted to be a part of of being something where, you know, we're back at the grassroots and helping patients who deserve it the most. Yeah, it, it is very much grassroots. And I think part of the reason we started Astrid or, well, part of the reason why I started Astrid was because I realised uh, being in industry for um, a bit over three years, I realised that the issues uh, at the core were always recurrent. It's always the same issues. So um, patients found it hard to find a doctor that understood medical cannabis. Um, patients found it hard to find a pharmacist or pharmacy that could either, one, dispense it or, two, actually understand the science behind medical cannabis as well. And also being in a place that can just link everyone in the ecosystem together in a safe and really like non-judgmental way was really, really missing in the industry. And so Astrid was born because I was like, well, I've been in cannabis industry for over three years. I'm also a pharmacist. I can combine both together and build a really beautiful space, revamp almost the pharmacy model where I didn't want it to look like a Priceline or Terry White. Or I think that's any- a good decision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I was inspired by the Californian and the Canadian models where you go into a space and it's really unique and really warm and nurturing um, and you get – um, consulted by someone who's really experienced at what they do. So I thought, well, I, I know everything about cannabis. Um, I'm a pharmacist. I can combine the two, make a space that is like that um, under a pharmacy license but rebranded as a dispensary and specialise in medical cannabis. I find this space to be like a cross between an Apple store and a yoga studio. <laughs> like it's it's really nice, calm and zen, but it's also got that like sharp professional edge to it. Yeah. 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 And the journey in actually building out Asher was really interesting because um, I guess it's a very unique idea. And um, when I first approached the usual um, pharmacy shop fitters, People were like, "Oh no, we we can't build that. That it doesn't it hasn't been done before. So we you have to make it look a certain way. So essentially, you know, these pharmacy shop fitters want it to look like a price line or terry white. And I said, "No, I don't want it to like that. I want I want green terrazzo. I want green walls. I want green terrazzo. Yeah. I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah, <laughs> I had a very unique vision. Yeah. and I wanted like I wanted plants coming out of the leaves. I want iPads lining the walls. And yep. they're like." I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know how to build this. So, and so it then it became like a hunt to well, how do we make this happen without people, without the resources for one, and also without the usual people who would usually build pharmacies um, building it for me. And so then it became about well, let's find people who are passionate about this and who also have their own business, and you can probably try to find a way to make it happen. So then I reached mm-hmm. out to a really close friend of mine, Barbara, who is an architect. She's also starting out her own um, architectural firm as well. She's also um, female-led and she's also Asian in background as well. And um, so she said, um, I, I said, Barbie, do you think that you can help me do this? And she said, um, I don't know anything about pharmacies. And I said, well, can you find out? She said, yeah, sure, I can. (laughs) So we spent months researching all the regulations on how to build a pharmacy and then we figured it out and we built it out together. And then again, and then my uncle was also my shop fitter and so he helped us build it out and then we did everything to scratch by ourselves. So every inch of that place is filled with love and um, 
Even even my uh, my current dispense technician, she was helping me paint the walls at one stage. B was helping me pick like the stone and the um the floor colors at one stage. Yeah. So it's it's been a really crazy journey. And it's I have beautiful. to just I have to admit, you know, that Lisa didn't mention that she did all of this through COVID last year. Yeah, you know, that's during so right. lo- lockdown, and she persisted through all the challenges of, you know, getting the tradies in and all that stuff. So it's been an you know amazing journey to watch her sort of go through that as well. What does it mean to you to be a female, young, Asian-led business? Because I think it's interesting in the way that you your identity and it sort of speaks sort of to the brand a little bit as well. I think um, for me it, it means a lot um, because just because I've been in industry for a little while um, and having worked for two different cannabis companies, I, you soon realise that the industry is sort of a very male-dominated industry and it's very um, it's sort of following the trend that is in America and in Canada as well. And so for, for Astrid and for us to be a predominantly female-led dispensary, um, pioneering in medical cannabis is, I think, really awesome um and the and the fact that we're also asian by background as well i think all of us i think sometimes we forget that <laughs> that we're asian but um so b and i were both asian but also a judy who's our dispense technician she's also vietnamese by background as well mm. the our architect barbie she's um also asian mm. all of my tradies were asian <laughs> as well so it's it's um i don't know yeah it's been really interesting and also the having that conversation with my parents was also really interesting as well, trying to explain to them what we are doing. And I'm sure um, Asian parents normally have quite traditional values. How did, how did your parents go with the conversation? My parents are the most beautiful human beings. Like They were just like, oh, you know, that sounds like a really great plan. Um, we're super supportive and they don't still quite really understand what I'm doing, <laughs> but they are super supportive of whatever it is that we're trying to do as long as we're trying to do the right thing by patience mm-hmm. and, and trying to start like. Uh, um, changing the system. I think mm. as immigrants, that's something that's been, you know, that's basically in their DNA. So my mum is like, she's such a power woman. She's built a business from scratch herself coming from, you know, coming from Vietnam to Australia and um, not having much when she was here, building up a, you know, now she has an imp- import business, but she came here with nothing. So mm. they started off just sewing clothes for people and then they started, you know, well, maybe we can sew clothes for schools and started sewing clothes with different corporations and now they just have a factory in China and do it there. But, yeah, I think for her she's super proud that I have my own business and I'm doing something that has never been done before just like her. So It's amazing. I yeah. think it's an amazing story. Should we talk a little bit about sort of the current state of medical cannabis law in Victoria at the moment as it stands? Like what is allowed and what isn't? Mm, let's be you kick that off. <laughs> I think it's good that you picked Victoria because Victoria was, I guess, meant to be the really progressive state when it comes to medicinal cannabis. Um, so in terms of access nationally, it's, it's definitely moved a lot better than what it was. But um, in Victoria, it's it's something that, you know, they had a plan of making medicinal cannabis sort of more accessible in terms of licenses and getting more companies into here where it's, it could potentially be potential for exporting medicines as well. Um, but unfortunately, I think from a regulation perspective, we've not moved a lot. While the access is still better than where it was four years ago, 
it's really hard still for patients to navigate through the system to find the right doctor to actually um, that's willing to be prescribed. So most of them get turned away from doctors and they're like, my doctors, they can't prescribe, but legally they can prescribe. It's just a lot of administrative work. And even when it was legalized in Australia and, and Victoria specifically, other laws such as the drug driving laws weren't changed um, parallel to medicinal cannabis being legalized. So again, there's the issue of where um, regulations at the moment in Victoria, a lot of patients aren't able to drive because of the drug driving laws that says that if you have THC within your blood system, you could be done for drug driving. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're a patient with a legal prescription or not. So it's still, you know, compared to Canada where, you know, patients are actually done driving for impairment if, if they're on medicinal cannabis versus blood presence, we're still quite behind. Mm. Um, and like I said from the start, because this was an industry that was, you know, lobbied and pushed by patients, I think it's, it's, um, yeah, it's definitely felt patients in that regards. Well, patients were sort of the key advocates and lobbyists for the legislative change. What are the sort of challenges or barriers to effective use and helping these patients who are deeply in need often for that sort of medical relief? What are the sort of barriers, challenges and, you know, opportunities? Mm, well, I think the, the industry has come a long way in, in four years' time in many ways, but I think the key issues are still um, patient access. Um, how do we find a doctor that understands medical cannabis? Price is a huge problem mm. for patients. A lot of medical cannabis is really expensive in Australia and a lot of the health insurance companies don't always cover the cost. Some do now, but not all of them. And it's also non-PBS, so um, it's not covered by um, the PBS scheme at all. Um, and so a lot of most cannabis is over $150 for a month supply, and mm. that's a lot of money for a lot of patients mm. in Australia, particularly for a patient that's on a lot of medications already, mm. seeing a lot of specialists, um, going through the whole you know ordeal and having to pay an extra $150, $200 a month. That's just something that sometimes they can't afford. And so in that situation, do you think patients are most likely to remain sourcing via black market because they can't afford the uplift? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes they they do prefer to go to the black market because it's easier, there's less reg- – well, there's no regulation. But, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's just an easier option. Um, but there are some patients who, um, with the rise of the legal market, really want to go in the legal market. So they try as hard as they can to – go through a doctor and go through the right ways just so that they can use a product that is validated. So let's talk a bit about the customer experience when they enter Astrid. So I'm curious because you don't just do the the marijuana uh, cannabis prescribing, but you you sell a whole range of products. Just say someone comes into the store and they say, I want medical cannabis. Um, What happens from there? I think every second customer comes in and asks me if they can get CBD over the counter. So this, this is a really good question. Um, I think that, that, I mean, what we normally do is that we actually uh, screen a lot of patients. So patients can come in and we actually screen them either online. So via our website, there is a, an, an, um, 
an option to um, be screened by one of our team to see if the patient would be eligible for medical cannabis. Um, or they can do that in person as well, so they can book in. Um, if the patient is eligible, what we do is that we link them to um, a range of affiliated doctors. Um, now, these doctors aren't um, associated with Astrid. We just work with doctors who are independent to us. Um, and doctors. we also have doctors who work upstairs as well. So we have integrative doctors who are not just cannabis doctors, but they um, specialize in more holistic medicine. And we also have cannabis doctors as well. Would they be sort of like pain management doctors or they do everything? So the integrative doctor would be everything. Mm-hmm. So they gut health, mental health, supplements, nutritional medicine. And the, um, the cannabis doctors just specialize in medical cannabis. So like Astrid, although it's sort of branded as the first medical cannabis dispensary um, in Victoria that's Asian female-led, it's not just that. You're doing a whole range of other more holistic health interventions as well. Yes, exactly. And I think that's where I think the future of Astrid will be going. I think that we're not just about um, educating patients on medical cannabis. We're also uh, very big proponents of nutritional and holistic medicine. And so we help patients who have gut health problems. Like today, I had a whole range of patients come in with a huge um, different types of gut health problems. Mm. Um, and if I can't help them as a pharmacist, what I do is I link them to doctors who can and then they can book in and go through that journey with that doctor. Um, but then some patients come in and they just want to see if cannabis might be the right thing mm. for them. And in that in that case, we would then screen them and then link them to a doctor. The prescriptions would then get dispensed at Astrid and then patients can either get dispensed in person with me or I, we can actually ship it out to them as well to the house. And it's probably important to sort of clarify this Point that all the screening and all the prescribing that you do is according to the TGA mandated guidelines. Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Um, and so, with the vision for Astrid, where do you sort of see things going? Like, I hate that this is the classic interview question. Where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> <laughs> where do you see things in five years? Well, I think. I mean, our vision is to have an Astrid in areas where we see patients um, wanting access the most. So um, a lot of our patients are in places like Byron Bay and Noosa, um, in Sydney and Northern Beaches and Newcastle. I think those areas where patients are already actively seeking medical cannabis and the doctors are already there, I think it would fit really well in those kind of areas. So in, in a dream world, would love to have an Astrid there. Um but for now, our goal is helping patients get access, really supporting patients and really understanding the patient journey from you know, from a human level. I think that's something that's really been missing in the industry. Mm. So we go really above and beyond for patients sometimes. Like some patients, I had a patient yesterday who just really couldn't afford it. And so look, and the, um, what we did was, well, look, I'll give it to you for cost price because I just feel like you need help and, and we'll, we'll drive it to you because you can't afford the, the shipping. So we'll drive it to you as well. So we, we really put ourselves in patients' shoes and make sure that we really think about, you know, what, their journey and how we can help them to the best of our ability. Very well said. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the potential of the medical cannabis industry here. And I think post COVID, everyone's thinking, what will be the boom industry that helps? drive our economy out of the pit that it's fallen into. Do you think that the medical cannabis industry could sort of lead the way in, in some way here? Yeah, I think definitely, you know, there's an opportunity if the government, you know, is able, I guess, to even make 
manufacturers licenses more affordable for example i mean we've seen the huge sort of economic benefits in canada for example with medicinal cannabis and even recently with the legalization of cannabis in terms of jobs um and what it does within the healthcare sector as well but it all comes down again to regulations at the end of the day and i think this is where you know even with the hemp and with the un you know um Council on Narcotic Drugs and the decision to actually consider CBD is not no longer an illicit drug. So there's huge potential. It's just it always goes back, you know, not even just with the patient, but even within industry. It's just the, the stigma that's behind it. So I think Australia needs to move as almost a leader. You know, New Zealand is way ahead of us at the moment. You know, yes, they've legalized medicinal cannabis for a few years as well, but at least the conversation of the next step, which is legalization, was on the agenda. And I think Australia has always been very conservative um, with drug reforms, and, and so that's something I think the government needs to look at. I know with COVID, like you said, there is huge potential there for sure. It's awesome. Well said. Anything to add? I think I think B did a really job, good job of um, depicting all of that. You nailed, so. it. Nailed, <laughs> it. nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> Absolutely nailed it. Um, I'm curious, what health conditions is cannabis useful or indicated to treat? Um, I th- um, I think that. The question should be what kind of indications are doctors prescribing for at the moment? And so um, we have a a range of doctors um, breaking down between GPs, specialists, oncologists, and the biggest indication, no matter what kind of doctor they are, is always chronic pain. That's the biggest indication. And the second biggest indication is anxiety. I think every second patient of mine that comes in is is anxious um, and they have anxiety. And you can tell when they come in as well. So I, we try to spend a lot of time with them even post getting the prescription. So we spend about 15, 20 minutes with each patient just explaining how it can be used, um, what it's used for, dosing, the endocannabinoid system. So I think education post getting the prescription is really important, particularly for those kind of um anxiety patients because they're already so nervous and they're already on so many benzos and things like that and this is like the the last thing that they want they want they really want it to work um it doesn't always work for everyone but it is just having that kind of nurturing end to the journey is really helpful i think for a lot of anxiety patients but you're definitely chronic pain and anxiety are two biggest indications and how effective is it for both just on average like anecdotally even um Anecdotally, I think that patients with more neuropathic pain have a lot of benefit from it. Um, chronic pain is an interesting one because it doesn't work for all types of pain, but a lot of the evidence um, supports the neuropathic sort of pain. Um, cancer patients have a lot of relief from it as well in terms of because it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't just help with the pain, it's also with the sleep and anxiety. Nausea um, as well. Probably. Nausea and vomiting, yep. definitely, yeah. So from that perspective, it's um, a lot more holistic. Um, in that approach. And so, yeah, we get a lot of those kind of um, patients who are palliative or cancer patients coming in hoping to have a better quality of life experience as well. That's mm. awesome. And so how do you sort of see the extension of the, the, the uses of medical cannabis in the future? Like what kind of conditions is it being trialled in overseas or do we see promising evidence for emerging here? 
Yeah, I think that um, chronic pain and anxiety have been the two biggest indications so far, but we're starting to see a lot more research done in things like endometriosis, in things like IBS, um, in things like, I guess, PTSD as well. So like the psychiatrists in, in Australia are starting to really become more confident in prescribing for different sort of um, mood disorders as well. Well said. So, I mean, it's it'd be remiss of me not to sort of bring up the broader conversation around experimental medicines. Um, so I'm thinking specifically <laughs> about psilocybin, ketamine, ayahuasca and MDMA and how, how does sort of cannabis fit alongside some of those um, more interesting or exotic remedies? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Lisa just literally knew that this one was for me. So I think it's not really about how interesting and exotic I think it's important a, to acknowledge a lot of these medications existed before Western medicine as well. So there's a huge history of um, cannabis that was used in East, uh, you know, Asia since 5000 BC and same with psychedelics and ayahuasca. So I think people were definitely, um, I guess, a bit jaded by a healthcare system that hasn't really worked for them. You know, we're sort of being used to an industry where the symptoms are being uh, treated, but not the root causes of what they're going through. And, and I think, especially with our generation, you know, we're more interested in healing the body in a way that's sort of aligned to natural ways and plant-based medicine. So I think where it's really exciting is medicinal cannabis will sort of open the doors to psilocybin and ketamine and, you know, hopefully other hallucinogenics as well but I think you know until like what we see in Canada and America as well until the medicinal cannabis framework and regulation is set and it works we're not going to be able to progress with with all these other alternatives yeah so almost like marijuana is the first step and then if that goes well then you can start to maybe explore because we do have trials running in a number of hospitals around psilocybin for end of life care and that kind of thing but probably just not seeing as much active support for mainstream take up yeah and i think that's a huge you know with psilocybin especially in australia there is a huge advocacy from from especially like the veterans um who you know i guess majority of them suffer from ptsd and that's where the strongest evidence are naturally you know Veterans have been prescribed medicinal cannabis for PTSD, for example, but there's definitely stronger evidence than psilocybin. So even looking at how it started in Australia with a compassionate access to start with, I think, you know, that's where we need to start progressing. And I think ultimately where um, Astrid, you know, aims to be is, is always sort of, you know, patient-led. And I think that's been the missing piece in the healthcare industry where patients are equally empowered with their healthcare practitioner, what works for them at the very start. Because like Lisa said, majority of the patients that we see, they're really at their wits end. So where we hope to get to eventually is we're able to help them earlier on in their journey so they don't end up on tons of medications. And, you know, they're really sort of, I guess, desperate for help at that stage. What was it? Anything, Dad? I think you nailed it again. <laughs> <laughs> now this is teamwork. There's the handballing it and is. nailing it. it it's, it's, all, it's all happening here. Um, so let's talk a bit about the sort of scene here for the medical cannabis industries, or the, just the what I mean, because it's so new. And you know, I came to your party the other night and got to sort of experience a bit of that. Your <laughs> launch party, experience a bit of like what the scene looks like. But who are some of the major players and supporters, and who are some of the main drivers of that sort of social change and political change? 
I think from an industry perspective, it, it usually gets broken down to cannabis companies. So these are companies who have um, products in Australia um, and often the, we, we call them licensed producers as well. There's also distributors, so people who are able to distribute the medicines um, and then also cannabis clinics. So those are the usual sort of industry players. But I think from a government relations perspective, there's also a lot of patient advocacy Advocacy groups. I think yeah. Bee's nodding at me. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have, I can't help myself, but obviously we have to give a shout out to Fiona Patton. She's done a lot in Victoria specifically, and she's continued to be that, I guess, driving force about what so much more needs to be done in the industry. You know, she was the first member of parliament to start addressing the issue of drug driving. She's, you know, tried for the last three years. She's tried three times to pass uh, the amendment to the road safety you know, act to ensure that patients are actually able to drive and, you know, we're still waiting for that change to come and and she's been pushing other states to also, you know, consider the same change. So she's been great at that. But on the federal level, you know, we definitely need more politicians to actually do this. Like just legalising itself has, has not been enough for patients, so we can't just stop there. We really need to make sure that, you know, patients are able to, access and you know afford these medications that can actually give them you know better quality of life as well well said so look it's probably a good point to talk about the future now and and just sort of <laughs> what do you see is sort of happening next here in for the cannabis industry given everything that you see overseas international trends um what you're seeing in hotspots like canada and other places like that yeah how does it all evolve here yeah I mean, I think that in Australia, we're, we're so restricted by the current regulations. So it's all contingent on whether or not our current regulatory framework changes. So in, when we look at things globally, we see it's split between a medical market and a recreational market. In Australia, it's very much a medical market at the moment. And from a patient perspective and also from an astral perspective, we're big proponents of that because we think that cannabis is um, very suited for medical industries. Like patients have chronic pain, a pain patients have anxiety and they need healthcare professionals to navigate them through the space. But from an overseas perspective, we see in Canada dispensaries opening and dispensaries in overseas is very different to Astrid as a dispensary in, in, in South Yarra <laughs> because you can walk in and you you be able to pick um, different types of cannabis products and you'll have a bud tender that would then serve you. And it's a very different experience. Um, I had a customer walk in yesterday who um, – um, her partner has a um, cannabis company in Hong Kong and he also um, founded a cafe called Found as well, which is a really trendy cafe that's um, also very aesthetically pleasing and has a lot of um, CBD coffees and CBD cookies and um, cookies for puppies as well. So it's um, it's a very – It's important that your dog gets the benefits of CBD. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. They shouldn't miss out. <laughs> they can't advocate, so it's hard for them, you know. <laughs> we have to speak on their behalf. <laughs> so bees folded over cracking up at you. <laughs> So those are the kind of things that are happening overseas um, because there's, it, again, it's a different regulatory mm. framework. In Australia, mm. it's it's um, on prescription via doctor and mm. dispensed via pharmacist. At, and at Astrid, what we do is that we try to make um, that work uh, within the current regu- regulatory framework, but then we try to jazz it up. We, we make it into a space that's really inviting and green and lush and with people who really understand the industry and the products. So I think that's where we differentiate. 
Well, both of you have the floor. You've got my full attention. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that I haven't asked you about today that's sort of on your mind? What do you think, B? I just want to put it back to the government as always, you know, sort of like government relations always been something that I think, you know, the barriers, you know, like through COVID last year, there was a Senate inquiry um, recommendations that were being passed of what of what needed to change in terms of the industry. And, and that report never really got any traction because COVID happened. Um, one of the key recommendations, and again, you know, Richard Dinatali really pushed hard for this, was maybe the TGA needed to look at a different type of uh, regulatory framework that doesn't consider medicinal cannabis as sort of what a pharmaceutical drug would. Um, so we need we need to think outside of box. We need to catch up with other countries who are already ahead of us. We need to ensure that patients, um, you know, patients on disability support pension, for example, who really need it, who will benefit from it, um, are able to afford it at the end of the day. So, you know, I always feel that there's more that the government needs to do. It's whether they want to actually get behind it is that the political will well i like i like how you left that sort of back to you government <laughs> what will you come up with next so that was nice um where can people connect with you and learn more about your wonderful work yeah so um we, people can connect with us via our website um we're pretty active on our socials as well so instagram and facebook um but people are most welcome to come and see us in person if you're based in melbourne we're based in south yarra um, so we always love meeting new people and helping patients navigate the space or even if you just want to have a chat, like we're super friendly, super happy people. So come and visit us. <laughs> so what is, give, give us the website and the address. So our website is astrid.health, mm-hmm. no www, just astrid.health. Very cool. And our address is uh, 575 Chapel Street, South Yarra. Right next to Chapelli's. Right next to Chapelli's. <laughs> and Cafe Cucina. And Cafe Cucina. Yes, very important. Yeah. Shout Sand- out Sandwich well. between one excellent institution and one <laughs> and less, less excellent institution. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, we should not speak poorly of the uh, the, the, the neighbours. So. Anyway, it's been terrific chatting with both of you and thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks yeah. so much for having Thank us. Thank you. I look forward to many future visits to your shop and uh, lots of hang time. Lovely. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com. 